Okay, so a number of weeks ago, we introduced this notion of microbial diversity, but a question that comes out of this concept is a very basic one. Is there a lot of microbial diversity? Just how diverse are bacteria? And the answer, they are very, very, very diverse. We're going to talk about this and so very much more on this episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I, as always, am your host, Dr. K. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today on this beautiful day. Um, We've got a fun short story planned out, but if you are just joining us for the first time, do not forget to follow and to share. Um, At some point, I'm going to get all this stuff out on Apple Podcasts. Right now, we are limited solely to Spotify, but don't worry, all you Apple users out there. We will soon get you guys sorted. Um, But regardless of whether or not you are an Apple or an Android user, if you would like to keep up to date with the podcast and more fun science content, be sure to follow us on Instagram at science with Dr. K. That's science with Dr. Underscore K. But other than that, let us jump face first into this story. Um, This episode actually draws itself from a question that I got from one of our listeners the other day. Shout out to John from Kansas. Um, They mentioned that they read something about how... Uh, about how the bacteria on our elbow is as different from the bacteria in our armpits as deserts are from rainforests. I will say that again. The bacteria on our elbow is as different from the bacteria in our armpits as deserts are from rainforests. Now, that is a really crazy thought. Is this true? Is this kind of, you know, hyperbolic? What are we looking at here? Um, Well, let's just unpack this a little bit. First, uh, first of all, this statement comes from a really cool paper that came out all the way back in 2009 called Topographical and Temporal Diversity of the Human Skin Microbiome. Now, in this paper, there's a group of plucky researchers that used uh, something called 16S uh, genetic sequencing to figure out the identities of whole groups of bacterial populations in a bunch of different parts of the body. Okay, so what they did is they just took basically a whole bunch of genetic material and they sequenced the whole lot and they use that as a proxy of estimating what kinds of different bacteria are present in a given location, right? And so then they did that at a number of different parts of the body. And then what they could do is they could then compare the populations in those different parts of the body and then see if there were some bacteria that were enriched in certain types of environments and not others, stuff like that, okay? Now... This led the researchers to note um, something really cool, actually. It turns out that there are similar environments on us that house similar types of bacteria. And this actually makes a ton of sense. If you think about it, not all of our skin is the same, right? Just to use their analogy, right? The skin on my elbow and your elbow is very different from the skin in my armpit or your armpit, right? The armpit tends to not be agitated quite so much. Um, It doesn't get as much light as the elbow, as it turns out. It turns out... Um, It tends to have more moisture than the elbow, right? So they're very, very different. And while these differences are kind of, they might seem small to us, they are hugely different environments to a wee bacteria um, to the point where they are as different as a rainforest is from a desert, right? And just as you'll find different organisms in different habitats in nature, you're going to find different bacteria in different bacterial houses, right? Just as you can find Gila monsters and cacti and fennec foxes in the desert, right? And not in the rainforest. Just as you can find the capybara and the okapi and the poison dart frog in the rainforest and not in the desert. You can find 
certain types of bacteria enriched in the armpit and not on the elbow, right? They're totally different environments. And as a result, they will precipitate very different types of organisms, okay? Now, this is a really, really cool question. But out of this question comes another really, really cool question. Dr. K, I've been very reliably informed that bacteria are found all over the place, right? They're found in the ocean. They're found in the mountains. They're found on us. They're found in geothermal vents, right? They're found everywhere. If the difference between the armpit and the elbow are as huge as we're saying then that means that there must be many, many, many more environments from a bacterial perspective than there are from like our own perspective, right? And you know what? That's actually pretty right. Because of their size, bacteria are going to experience slight changes in environment in a much more drastic way than we do, right? And these changes in environment can select for genetically different forms of bacteria, which leads us to this natural correlator from that, If genetically different bacteria thrive in different environments and there are oodles of environments, then there must be oodles and oodles of different types of bacteria. I'm going to say that again. If genetically different bacteria thrive in different environments and there are oodles of different environments, then there must be oodles and oodles of genetically different types of bacteria. Okay? And this is exactly true. Bacteria are extraordinarily diverse. They are stupidly diverse. How diverse are we talking? Well, in order to answer this question, we need to talk a little bit more about genetic similarity of organisms. In fact, let us start with the genetic similarity of humans with other organisms. Excuse me. So humans belong, uh, human beings belong to the species Homo sapiens. So that's very cool. Um, And it's very easy for us to think that we're pretty unique within the animal kingdom. Um, We seem pretty unique. We drive cars and all these different things. But in fact, we are not quite as unique as we would like to think. Um, It turns out that you shared 99.9% of your genome with all other human beings on Earth. Um, Most of us know that we share over 95% of our DNA with chimpanzees, a ridiculously high amount. Relatively recently, we also learned that we share a similar amount of DNA with the bonobos, another great ape. So we're extremely similar to them from a genetic standpoint. Uh, you also may have heard this hmm, somewhat alarming statistic that we're 60% similar to a banana. 60% similar to a banana. Now, this is, this is sort of true. Um, it doesn't mean that you have more in common with a banana than you do with your grandparents with whom you share 25%. <laughs> That's kind of a funny idea. 25% in your grandparent, but 60% like a banana. It, it just means that since both humans and bananas are eukaryote, ha, are made up of eukaryotic cells, there are similarities at the cellular level, right? So like I just said, both banana cells and human cells are eukaryotic cells, right? And since they're both eukaryotes, a lot of the cellular processes that they do, the things that just they do on the normal everyday work of the cell, um, they're very, very, they're done very, very similar. Okay. And since they're done similarly, they have similar genes that are doing those processes, right? You can think about it kind of like nuts and bolts, right? Nuts and bolts, lots of other things, they hold together a bunch of different types of structures, right? Nuts and bolts are used to hold together buildings and battleships and I don't know, planes, computers, right? We wouldn't say that all these things are the same, right? They're different sizes. They're different shapes. They have totally different functions, totally different capacities, 
But the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of each of these things are very similar. They're held together by the same type of glue. Likewise, the components that keep eukaryotic cells running are, for the most part, similar, even if you're building different things like a banana or a human being. So at the end of the day, yes, you have about 60% genetic similarity to a banana. So congratulations on that. Now, the amount and the way that the nuts and bolts are used, right? So how much of this bolt or how much of that screw you make is going to vary a lot from species to species, just as they vary a lot from skyscrapers to jumbo jets, right? And that gets into a topic called epigenetics, which is a really, really, really cool topic. Um, but it's very, and you can very loosely describe it as um, as a way of controlling how genes are being turned on and off. We'll we'll do a deep dive on that in another episode. But for now, just think about epigenetics as a way of controlling how much different genes are used, how many of this bolt is made, or how much of that screw is being made. Okay. Now, what about bacteria? Now, here's a really really key point: bacteria epigenetics. It just isn't as complex as eukaryotic epigenetics, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Maybe when we do the maybe when we do the epigenetics episode, we'll we'll talk about that in greater detail. But in general, bacterial epigenetics just isn't as complex as eukaryotic epigenetics. Also, a bacteria is just so, or a bacterium, excuse me, is just so much smaller than a eukaryotic cell, right? So that means that if it's going to be adapting to a new environment. Right, by digesting a new metabolite or something like this, then instead of using a complex mechanism like epigenetics, bacteria will just start changing their genome. Right? They use a whole bunch of different processes for this, some of which we talked about. We talked about bacterial conjugation, bacterial transformation, a whole bunch of other genetic mo- modifications within the bacteria themselves. Bacteria can add genes, subtract genes, edit their genome pretty easily. Now, If you couple this with the facts that we mentioned earlier, right, about how bacteria are simultaneously all over the place, while with tons of diverse environments, when you pair that with the fact that they can adjust their genomes very easily, what emerges from that is that there's a lot of bacteria that are very, 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 very genetically diverse, okay? In fact, you and I are much more similar to a banana, genetically speaking, than a lot of bacteria are to each other, which is absolutely ridiculous. Bacterial genomes, they vary dramatically in their size and in the types of genes that are used, right? In the smallest bacterial genome, right, that's about 150 times smaller than the largest bacterial genome, which clocks in at, I think it's like 15,000 kilobases. I might be wrong on that one. I think it's 15,000 kilobases. For frame of reference, our own genome is like 150 times larger than the smallest animal genome, like a tiny worm, okay? Additionally, addition to these vast size differences, bacteria use a whole bunch of different types of genes in order to survive in different types of environments. For example, a pathogen that's used to antibiotics is going to have a totally different set of genes than a naive, like, sulfur-consuming bacteria that's never interacted with an antibiotic in its life. Right? The genetic diversity of bacteria due to um, their different ecological and metabolic needs and their rapid evolution is absolutely absurd. Now, Dr. K, you say, that's very, very cool. Um, so that means that there's got to be absolutely billions and billions and billions of bacterial species, huh? And this is where it actually gets really, really confusing because it turns out there's actually still a lot of debate about how many bacterial species there are. Now, 
you would think that this is that this ridiculous genetic diversity would mean that there's a equally ridiculous number of bacteria. But there's a lot of folks that suggest there's a lot fewer species than we might think. Now, that might seem a little counterintuitive. There's a ton of genetic diversity, excuse me, there's a ton of genetic diversity, but there may not be that many species. How does that work? It really comes down to how you define a species. For a good long while, a fundamental way that you could spell out species was just based off of reproductive compatibility. A dog, for example, at least as far as we know, can't reproduce with a sea urchin, right? Now, there's some play in the joints, sure, with animals like a liger or a z-donk or a mule, but for the most part, it's a pretty good system. Organisms of the same species can reproduce with each other. Organisms of different species can't. Now, the problem with bacteria is they take that idea of, of speciation and just toss the whole thing out the window. In the case of bacteria, you can have organisms, excuse me, that are ridiculously genetically distinct, but still have the ability to reproduce with each other using horizontal gene transfer, right? For example, you could get that hospital bacteria we talked about a second ago to give some genes to bacteria from the volcano bacteria, um, which would then lead to a new bacteria that is genetically distinct from both of the precursor bacteria. Now, what would you do with something like this? The precursors, they weren't like each other by any stretch, right? But they're still, they still produced something together that was genetically distinct from both of them. And as a result, this idea of bacterial species is one that's still being debated. Um, and you can, <laughs> you can end up with these kind of crazy paradoxical statements like uh, there's different kinds of E. coli that only share 20% of the same genome, right? There's, there's multiple different pathogens with different ways of infection that are 99% similar, right? Bacterial species are extraordinarily confusing black box that are still being worked out, but it's a really, really cool, really, really cool idea. Okay, let's wrap this up and then put a bow on it. Number one, bacteria are exposed to a vast array of different environments, and this encourages an incredible amount of genetic diversity. Number two, due to the similarity of eukaryotic cells, we humans are genetically similar to other eukaryotic organisms, ranging from bonobos to bananas. Number three, the bacterial genetic diversity comes as a result of their wide variety of environmental and metabolic requirements coupled with their rapid evolution due to things like horizontal gene transfer. Number four, you're more like a banana than some bacteria are like one another. And finally, number five, in spite of this incredible genetic diversity, bacteria throw a wrench in the standard model of species definition due to their ability to reproduce with very genetically distinct organisms. Isn't that a crazy thing? Isn't that just the most crazy, ridiculous thing? It's an extraordinarily, deliciously complicated, confusing topic, but it's just another way that bacteria fly in the face of all that we think we know. I think it's so, so cool. I think it's super fascinating. I hope you all do as well. But that is all we have time for today. Thank you, as always, for hanging out with us today. I hope each and every one of you are having a fantastic and beautiful day. And I'm looking forward to chit-chatting more next week with all of you on another episode of Short Stories Bacteria.